Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where we discuss various drinks and fantastic beverages. Yes, and today, the variety of fantastic beverage we're discussing is the IPA, or India Pale Ale. Mm. Not to be confused with an Indian Pale Ale, which is a pale ale made in India, probably. I don't know. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So today we're let's get right into what we're drinking because it's it tastes really really nice. We're um, we're drinking the Pirate Life IPA. It's a whopping six point eight percent. So a very hearty beer. Couldn't yeah. couldn't down a few too many of these in one go. And it has an IBU of sixty. And we will tell you later what that number means. It's fairly bitter, is yeah. what we're trying to say. Yes. The the short version is that that tells you how bitter uh, mm. a drink is. And, and it's, it's a... Like, just going off the look, it's got a, a very white head. Like, no off colours in the in the froth at all, in the foam. And mm. it's like a orangey, golden colour. Yeah, and uh, it holds the head remarkably well. Doesn't um, effervesce excessively. Mm. But still quite fizzy. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Very, very nice. It's got the... Um, actually, we should taste this. Cheers. Even though we just said cheers. Mm. So, it's... the. There's definitely some fizz there, but the bubbles don't wrap your tongue like a, a lager would. More of a, a tingling than a, than a bubble-filled... Yeah. Mouthful. And definitely a very different mouthfeel. Now, according to um, according to Pirate Life themselves, the Pirate Life IPA is the fourth beer that they added to their core range. And it has a gentle orange hue and a round, full-bodied malt character, care of the pale Munich and crystal malts that they've used in it. They say that it is bright and fruity. It's really fruity mm, it is very fruity I mean, it has some um, hints of passion fruit on the nose and on the palate as well mm. like quite quite a strong i would say more than a hint it's quite strong uh but not like a sour fruity flavored strength like you you drink it and you're like oh yeah that's that's passion fruit yeah, it's it's not like a passion fruit beer, but it's up there. Yeah. It's subtle. Hmm. Just not so subtle that someone says it's got flavors of passion fruit and you say, "Does it though?" <laughs> this is like and this one's when you say it's got flavors of passion fruit it's like, "Yep, there it is." Yep, they're there. Yeah. Uh it's it's bitter. Um but not excessively bitter like some of the IPAs we will mention later. Uh, so, it's a delicious drink. I'd give it four and a half bottle caps, really. It's quite yeah. nice. I mean, it's it's been a while since we did a bottle cap rating, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think, no, it is worthy of, of a four and a half. I mean, we, in our research on this particular drink, discovered that some places have 
given it three and a half bottle caps. Hmm. And I, I think possibly because it's too bitter, because they just can't handle the bitterness. Or maybe they don't like the Australian style craft beers. Yeah, tend to potentially. Be, they tend to be more floral and fruity. Mm, that's true. And yeah, we, we don't know who those 1,100 people were who reviewed <laughs> it on that particular website. Uh, are you calling these 1,100 people wrong? Or half of the 1,100 people wrong that voted at less than three and a half? No, or no. less than four? <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, let's get on to some IPA history. Because, as I said in the intro, it's a little crazy. Yeah, it's uh, a wild web of things beginning as something and becoming something else and then accidentally turning into different things entirely. <laughs> yeah. So it all, it all started in England, of all places, where they've been making beer for a long time, making what they were calling a pale ale or a recently discovered pale ale using the brand new technology of Coke driven fires yeah and uh, at that time the term pale ale referred to any ale at all that was more pale than the deep amber color most of the other ones at that time had mm. and you know it's a, a it was a consequence of the the paler roasting methods and so British colonialism is in full swing at this point in, what, the 1850s, I think it was? I forgot to check the number. I should have probably done that. Was it 1850? Um, so it was... Oh, earlier than that, the uh, in fact, the first record of the name IPA being used as a descriptor for a hoppy beer appeared in... The Sydney Gazette and New South Wales Advertiser in Australia in 1829. Ah, there you go. So, in the early 19th century, um, British colonialism is in full swing, and the troops stationed in India had a, a, a desire to drink beer like they had back home. Yes, they had uh, built up a mighty thirst, working hard to keep India British, and yeah. and they wanted British beer. They sure did. So they, of course, put in requests for some pale ale from good old-fashioned Britain. And the brewers said, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they said, well, six months on a ship, how's it going to go? We, we don't think it's going to turn out so well, but we'll add some stuff to it. Yeah, one enterprising brewer called... George Hodgson's Bow Brewery in the Middlesex Essex, Essex on the Middlesex Essex border. He decided he guessed that if you add a little more a little more if you add a shitload more hops and make it nearly double the percentage, it would survive the journey a whole lot better. So he made a few batches and uh, whacked it on a ship and away it went. Six months later, it arrived at India. Yeah, and uh, not only had it survived the journey without becoming flat or sour, it a lot of people actually preferred the new hoppier flavour. Yeah. And so IPA was born. Yeah, it was initially called October beer 
and it surprisingly enough benefited from the extra aging the six month journey had to endure. Yeah, and um, obviously people kept drinking them, got used to the hops. They slowly made their way over to the Americas. And in the late 1970s, early 1980s, thanks to America's craft beer boom, it started to become popular over there. And then Sierra Nevada began experimenting with a pale ale style and eventually... Americans began creating their own versions of IPA that used the American hops. American hops are more uh, citrusy and bitter than the uh, British counterparts, and so it ended up being a completely different drink. Yeah, and so what it came down to is that now an IPA is technically a more assertively hopped and stronger version of a pale ale. But what that actually means differs depending on which brewery is making the drink. Yeah. Because while pale ales tend to be a milder version of that brewer's IPA, the lines blur between brewers where some of them will make a standard ale that is just as hoppy as the IPA of another brewer. And it just depends on their definition of the term. Mm. Though generally, the difference is pretty clear when it comes to the alcohol content. <laughs> That's true. But the the most fascinating part about the India Pale Ale history is that for about 50 years, it vanished. Between Prohibition and the 1970s, people kind of forgot about it. The... Uh, India Pale Ales gradually got lighter and more refreshing over the years as tastes changed and the the climate, like people got used to the climate in India and preferred more uh, a lighter, more lighter beers, more lighter. They prefer, ended up preferring lighter beers, less, I suppose, alcohol. And that, and from that came the modern pale ale. Yeah, so it, it's almost like Ale led to IPA led to ale. Yeah. Well, pale ale led to IPA to ale to IPA. Again. Yeah, again. <laughs> oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to weave webs. I mean, that's <laughs> madness. Yeah. So what you're, what we're drinking is a, I, I guess it's the, the, What's the word? The not the revamp, the remake. Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically the forty years later remake, like Tomb Raider. How they uh, made a whole new series out of it. New IPA is like Blues Brothers two thousand, but that was rubbish. So <laughs> what <laughs> about? This is not rubbish. What about Batman? Like Tim Burton's Batman to the Dark Knight trilogy. To the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, I think I think we could call the Dark Knight trilogy modern IPA and yeah. Tim Burton's Batman, which was still good at the time. Mm. Well, it's still good. It still stands up well, but yeah. it's it's not. It doesn't have the the cinematography and the modern acting that we all are used to now. Yeah, it's it's like not... it was fantastic at the time. People loved it, but it looks dated and ta- and like the old-fashioned IPA probably would taste dated 
as well. It wouldn't have the same explosion of flavors in your mouth. Yeah, it undoubtedly would lack the complexity that we've come to expect from a modern-day craft beer of any variety. Because mm. you can, like today, you can measure things down to the microgram. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why when you look up a lot of IPAs online, you can find the IBU because people care about that these days when they're selecting a drink. And I suppose that's a good um, it's a good segue to tell people what the IBU actually stands for and what it is. The International Bitter- Bitterness Units. It means exactly what it sounds like. The a bunch of a bunch of brewers got together and decided or they worked out that we need to clarify some of the flavors and colors. Like how how do we measure how bitter or how or what color something is? Because we can say, you know, oh, this is a, a orangey gold color, and someone's orangey gold color can be different to someone else's orangey gold color. Yeah, and when it comes to things that can be quantified, especially on something like how hoppy the flavor of something is. Because if something is too hoppy for one person, but the perfect hoppiness for another person, it can put the first person off. But if you can quantify how hoppy something is and tack it on there as a number that someone can look at and read and go, yeah, I like hops around the 80, 90 mark. Which is bitter as fuck. Yeah. Um, Yeah, as we said said earlier, the uh, Pirate Life IPA is about 60, which is... A little bitter, but not excessively bitter like a uh, like a double IPA or a, a triple IPA, as yeah. some people have made. I've had a triple IPA. It is the meatiest beer, like some of the meatiest beers I've had, like a, a imperial stout kind of level. Yeah, because we, we should, uh, for those of you who don't remember what the extra I stands for when we've mentioned it previously, it is imperial. Mm. So it's... Double IPA means Imperial IPA. Yeah. Although, what is a triple IPA? Imperial Imperial IPA. (laughs) Incredibly Imperial IPA. (laughs) Who knows? I can't believe it's not IPA. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, for for reference, we've got to get into references because a... Well, we can throw numbers around, and if you don't really understand where these numbers lie, the 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 numbers mean nothing. So we're drinking a beer that has an IBU of sixty. It is a, about in comparison to a a mid level stout. In in bitterness, with in the bitterness. exception that you don't need a knife and fork to consume this. Correct. Uh, it is. It's on the bitter end of, say, a, a porter. Uh, but if you, but once we start getting into the lighter beers, the, say, American lager is between eight and twenty-six IBUs, which is not bitter at all. No, very much on the, the low, smooth, easy, low, smooth, easy drinking. Throw back a couple of cold ones with the boys. Yeah, nice and refreshing. Nice and refreshing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wheat beers and Kolsch Pilsner, they're all very low on the bitterness scale. But it's once we get into the English bitter, the pale ale, stout, barley wine, and IPA, 
one is where we start getting over 50 and the uh even even greater than stout is the barley wine and the IPAs mm. believe it or not so the other measurement of the other big measurement of craft beer nowadays is the color or or EBC, European Brewery Convention color. That wasn't mentioned on here, was it? No, we don't know what that the is. EBC. Well, we it's not mentioned on the website or the uh, or on the can like some some other craft breweries we've been to in Brisbane. Um, but I'm just going to hold the drink next to my monitor and estimate that it's about a. 16 to 20 because it's a pale it's a pale golden well not not it's not so much of a pale color it's more of an orangey gold color as we said before and that's they've basically put a number on the color so the the lower the number the the paler the drink on right at the top of the scale you've got pale lager Wheat beer, Pilsner at number four, uh, like blonde ale, vice beer at six and eight. Um, on the on the darker end of the scale, you've got uh, at 26 is the double IPA, 33, you've got your dark lager, amber ale, at 39, your brown ale, 47, your dry Irish stout, doppelbock, porter, 57 stout and 79 your imperial stout. Mm. Yes, a beer that sunlight cannot escape. <laughs> the blackest material ever created, the imperial stout. That's pretty much it for uh measuring how measuring the the quantitative properties of a beer aside from the alcohol percentage. Yeah, so now I guess it's as good a time as any to revisit something we haven't done in a while. Another one. And say that uh, this is um, what we're currently drinking. The Pirate Life IPA is our top drop for today. Yeah, it is not a cheap beer. Mm, it's it's a good beer. Very good. It, it, it is worth the entrance fee, as we say something has to be to be our top drop. It needs to be worth what you're... Yeah, worth like, what Expensive, but worth it. Mm. Like I wouldn't buy this all the time. I've pretty much picked it for the for the episode for yeah. you guys. But our good drop is something that's uh, more reasonably more reasonably priced, under a hundred dollars a carton. Yeah. Although this was this was under a hundred dollars at ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents. It's a hundred dollars a carton. They round <laughs> that up. Only if you're using cash. And uh, so our. Good drop today is Monteith's Ripper Red IPA. Mm. A fairly big brand in in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of craft beers. We struggled to find a mass-produced IPA because it seems to be in the realm of craft breweries. Yeah, but Monteith's comes pretty close because they sit mm. right on the edge. Like, they are teetering on the verge of becoming James Squires. Mm. And James Squire did release a 
IPA. They released a couple of different IPAs, but they are no longer available, as far as I know. Yeah, so it's it's almost like if you're a craft brewery and then you topple over that edge where you're producing too much to be considered a craft brewery anymore, all the craft brewers come knocking on your warehouse door and go, Oi, stop making IPAs. Almost. Yeah, it is almost like that, isn't it? <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Um, it could be because IPAs take a little more effort to produce, use more materials. Mm. More materials, a little more time. Mm. Got to age them. Yeah. And uh, so, having mentioned our good drop, let's talk about our odd drop. Yes. Because we haven't had an odd drop for a while. I might start with our honourable mention odd drop. Optimus Prime. What is it? What What's our honourable mention? So we, we'll briefly mention Optimus Prime because you brought it up, which sadly no longer exists. But that's just a fantastic name, Optimus yeah. Prime. And there are still Optimus Prime t-shirts out there, <laughs> apparently. But uh, our honourable our honorable mention is Audrey Hopburn, which is a Belgian IPA from the Great Lakes Brewery in Toronto, Canada. And it is our honourable mention because only 5,000 bottles were produced and you can only buy them from the brewery. Mm. So if you are in Toronto, I believe the locals pronounce it. Mm. Or you're near enough to go there. Yeah. Then you you might get lucky. Maybe there's still some left. I hope there's still some left because I want want you all to experience fantastic beer. And if you can get your hands on a bottle or, or you manage to taste it, let us know. Send us an email. Uh, we'll mention all the details at the end. Yeah, and our true odd drop, the one that you can still definitely get, the is pick. the RoboHop Imperial IPA. <laughs> and this is a heck of a thing. It is 8.5% and has an IBU of 100. That is, that is the meatiest beer I've seen in a long time. And yeah, it but is. It's an imperial IPA, so yes, you'd expect to see numbers like that. Yeah, and of course, it is also Great Lakes Brewery, but they have mm. a fantastic little tasting notes description for yeah. RoboHop, which says that RoboHop Imperial IPA is not a beer to trifle with. The unfiltered beer pours with a deep orange hue with a bright white head. The aroma is fantastic. Tropical fruits abound from the glass which consists of passion fruit, guava, lemon with notes of white grape and evergreen mingling together. Makes you think of cotton candy. Traces of soft, warming alcohol notes are also detected. The full-bodied 8.5% Imperial IPA is very gentle on the palate, making it one sneaky bugger. (laughs) Many of the aromas come through in the taste, resulting in a very pleasant, juicy finish that's slightly dry, and as stated in the description... Bracingly bitter, an easy drinking Imperial IPA. At an IBU of one hundred, I'm skeptical. <laughs> yeah, the I'm not sure about the easy drinking portion of that, but yeah, I mean they they had me until they got to easy drinking when the <laughs> IBU is one hundred. Yeah, I I would really love to taste this. Yeah, as would I. I hope it's still available. Everything we've seen so far says it is. Mm, Says that it is, yeah. I mean, uh, thinking definitely in Canada, not sure about 
anywhere else. But if mm. you are in the Americas, be it Canada or America or really anywhere on that continent, and you're able to get a hold of it, we'd love to hear what you think of it. Mm. Yeah, send us an email. But So, when was the first time you had a IPA? Oh, the first IPA that I recall having, the, the first IPA that really stuck with me was a Brooklyn Brewing Co. East IPA. Right. That I had at a cigar and craft beer night at a cigar bar. Huh. I hadn't considered a cigar pairing with a... I, I've heard of cigar and whiskey nights, but I hadn't heard of craft beer and, and cigar night. Yeah, I mean, it, it stands to reason when you think that you, know, you pair food with drinks because the food puts a taste in your mouth. Right. And then the drink adds to or changes that flavor. And the same thing happens with a cigar. The smoke puts a certain flavor in your mouth and then the huh. drink changes it. Hmm. And, you know, vice versa. There you go. The the first time I had an IPA was a uh, hipster bar in uh, Milton, just down, not far down the road from where I live now, mm. and I hated it. It was so bitter. It must have been a double IPA, because it was so bitter I couldn't stand it. I di- I didn't even finish the glass. Oh, wow. So you definitely weren't used to such things at the time. No. Like the most bitter thing, most bitter drink I'd had at that point was Guinness, which is not even that bitter. No, not at all. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's the best-selling stout in the world. Because it's not that bitter. <laughs> it's not that bitter. Not that bitter. It's closer to draft than stout yeah, at this just, point. I mean, it's dark and meaty, but the flavor is smooth. Mm. Yeah. Um, but so I was a little bit cautious about having IPAs since then. And this was five, six years ago, but since then the, the, the variety of IPAs has increased so much that I don't have to drink the, the bitter IPAs. I can have the milder IPAs and work, or I could have the milder IPAs and work my way up. Which is what I've done. Yeah, because as with all things, hoppier, more bitter beers tend to be an acquired taste. Yeah, well, beer is an acquired taste. No one has their first beer and says, yes, that's great. No one. They're all lying through their teeth. Mm, Admittedly. Guarantee it. Yeah, we we still know people who just don't drink beer. Yeah. Because it's too bitter. Or they don't like the the yeasty flavors or the the beer taste. Yeah, which is fine, you know. Yeah, each to their own. I'm not dissing anyone who doesn't drink beer because there's so many more other things to drink, so That's many more right. options. And most drinks are acquired tastes anyway. Yeah, coffee. <laughs> yeah, coffee, tea. Yeah, cordial. Although mm-hmm. cordial is pretty much an instant hit because, because of the sheer amount of sugar. Yeah, because it's sweet and kids love sweet things. Yeah. All right. So thanks for listening, guys. If you liked what you heard, uh, please like and subscribe to us. Hit the, Smash that subscribe button. 
Uh, you can find us on where you can find us wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, we're on Podbean, uh, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, you name it. You can find us as a good drop all about alcohol. And of course, we are on the socials: Facebook, Instagram. Very small presence on YouTube. Probably don't look for us there. You'll you'll don't, find us, but don't you'll do it. you'll regret it. Don't do it. And uh, on there, we are a good drop podcast. And if you want to send us feedback, questions, comments, uh, if you have a favorite IPA that we think that you think we should mention, send us an email to a good drop at gmail dot com. And if you've got if you want to share a particular episode, you, you can check out our good old-fashioned website, agooddrop.com.au. Yeah, now be sure to tune in next week when we talk all about carbonation. Yeah, we're going to gonna be teetotalers next week and have some soda water. <laughs> With gin in it, probably. Oh, maybe. A bit of a stretch. Mm. Um, but yeah, something carbonated. Without a doubt, there will be carbonation involved as we talk about the history of putting bubbles in beverages. Bubbles in beverages, from soda fountains to the, the modern soft drink. Yeah. And, yeah, until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.